Hi Cole writes for the rap. There were times in our relationship that I was uncomfortable with the attention Josh, Josh Sweden, paid other women. He always had a lot of female friends, but he told me it was because his mother raised him as a feminist. So he just liked women better. He said he admired and respected females, he didn't lust after them. I believed him and trusted him. On the set of Buffy, Josh decided to have his first secret affair. Fifteen years later, when he was done with her marriage and finally ready to tell the truth, he wrote me. When I was running Buffy, I was surrounded by beautiful, needy, aggressive young women. It felt like I had a disease, like something from a Greek myth. Suddenly, I am a powerful producer and the world is laid out at my feet and I can't touch it. But he did touch it. He said he understood I would have to lie or conceal some part of the truth for the rest of my life. But he did it anyway, hoping that first affair would be enough that then we can move on and outlast it. Uh, Skipping ahead a little. Despite understanding on some level that what he was doing was wrong, he never conceded the hypocrisy of being out of the world preaching feminist ideals, while at the same time taking away my right to make choices for my life and my body based on the truth. He deceived me for 15 years so he could have everything he wanted. I believed, everyone believed, that he was one of the good guys, committed to fighting for women's rights, committed to our marriage, and to the woman he worked with. But now I see how he used his relationship with me as a shield, both during and after our marriage, so no one would question his relationships with other women or scrutinize his writing as anything other than feminist. Again, that was Kai Cole writing for The Wrap about um, her divorce with Joss Whedon. Uh, Kai Cole is an, is, an, um, is an architect, a film producer, and Joss Whedon's ex-wife. So why would I bring that up in a in this AP Marvel episode uh, where we're just talking about Joss Whedon's work on the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Well, the thing is that, um, you know, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, if you know about this CMU class that uh, kind of predated this podcast... Uh, we talk a lot about Altairs and how, uh, basically, an Altair, uh, the their work can only come from that person. So, Joss Whedon's work really reflects on him as a person, and I think it's really important to look back at his work, to look back at his personal life, uh, because it turns out his Avengers work has had a lot of influence on the Marvel Cinematic Universe which uh, has a lot of different hands, a lot of different uh, names on that. So, uh, with that long intro out of the way, this is episode 32 of AP Marvel. Uh, I have, uh, I'm Chris Compendio, your usual host. I have assembled a panel of Whedonologists uh, for this episode. <laughs> I wouldn't, I, Chris, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call myself a Whedonologist. Well, okay, sure. Um... Yeah, um, Anthony yeah, Payone, uh, you were yep. here today. Uh, I bet you are celebrating the uh, glorious wins of Green Book and Bohemian Rhapsody at the Golden Globes. Is that right? Oh, I, I mean, I don't really give a shit. Oh, oh well, yeah. I mean, I missed those awards. So anyway, but um, yeah, that was a weird thing. Andy to wake Samberg up to. made a joke um, about um, the Black Panthers getting assassinated by the U.S. government, he and I did. thought that was pretty cool. I just saw that. Yeah, yeah, that was that was really interesting. God bless yeah. you. Um, uh, Izzy Show. Uh, Izzy, you're back from vacation. Is that right? Yeah, I was all over the place. I went to Israel with my family. I went to LA for uh, three days. And now I am back home and we'll go back to Pittsburgh in like a couple days. And I'm. Oh, man. Thank God okay. I'm over on my jet lag. Well, we still got you. We still got you for a while. 
Yeah, I mean, I was, like, having you do, like, various AP Marvel-related tasks and duties, and I think you were texting me, like, I'm climbing a hill right now, <laughs> and you, you still you still did the work, you still did it, like, on your phone, I was like, oh, God bless you, Z. Oh. Anyway, uh, Jen Uncle, you're our guest today, hello. Hey there. Um, would you describe yourself as a weedinologist? <laughs> um, I would describe myself as someone who... Has often been annoyed by Joss Whedon, but, uh, ah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, what is it that you, I mean, I'm trying to think of a better way to phrase this, but what is it that you do? <laughs> well, I, I mainly, um, do some freelance writing as well as, mm-hmm. um, some general writing as well as, uh, podcasting about video games, anime, and visual novels, mostly. Cool. Um, yeah, were you at MAGFest? Uh, you just came back home from that, is that right? Yeah, um... I've had a pretty long weekend. Like, um, <laughs> we um, we got in there around Thursday, and then we found out, oh, the con actually starts on Thursday. So it was this ah. four-day marathon that... Uh, Jeez. It was pretty exhausting. Uh, what is... So this is a dumb question, but, like, I haven't really... I've only started going to cons, like, months ago. But, like, what is what is the deal with MAGFest? Like, what is MAGFest? So, uh, MAGFest, uh, the MAG part stands for Music and Gaming. So... Oh, Okay. But yeah, it's it's basically this convention that operates for almost um, unbroken four days. Like, there's a few hours around 4 to 6 a.m. where nothing's going on, but uh, they have a 24-hour arcade downstairs. There's always someone out. There's always people performing in this concert hall for various bands coming in and out. Uh, it, it's basically packed with all sorts of... It's packed with all sorts of things to do, essentially. Right. Oh man, that sounds really dope. I might have to put that on my calendar next year. Yeah, I've only I've been to FlameCon. I was at FlameCon last year and your ComCon last year. And uh, actually, the previous two guests on this show in d- separate episodes, I, I think I networked with both. I networked at those cons with them, and that's how I got them. But uh, yeah, yay, we're podcast networking. Isn't this fun? <laughs> Um, yeah, hopefully we'll all be, like, cool friends at the end of this. And what better way to make friends by, uh, uniting against a common enemy? Um, no, this is, um, this is not meant to be, like, a hit piece, you know? We're not, we're not meant, we're not, you know... There will be some dunks, but I think, um, it's really important to kind of talk about the context of Josh Whedon's, uh, career. So... This might be a lot for me to ask from y'all. I don't know where y'all were in 2010, but that was when it was announced that Joss Whedon would be the uh, director, the writer-director of The Avengers. So I think this was at San Diego Comic-Con, and this was the first time they got the entire cast up. So, you know, you had, like, Downey Jr., Ruffalo, uh, Evans, Hemsworth, yada, yada, yada. Um... At that point, um, Cap 1 and 401 were not even out yet. Uh, but here they are, like, this this giant group on stage. Uh, Joss Whedon, uh, quote-unquote, nerd icon. Um, <laughs> order of Anthony Izzy Jen. I, I want to hear if you remember, uh, if you had any opinion, if you had any Joss Whedon opinions at that time. Uh, and considering, like, where you were at the, you know, at, like, the very beginning of the MCU and the fandom, uh, what, what were your, what was your take on that, if you even remember almost nine years ago? Uh, hmm, uh, 
don't remember that much. Like, I wasn't super, super involved. All I knew is that Avengers was happening, and um, I don't know if it was after the San Diego thing, the San Diego Comic-Con thing, or, like, a few months before Avengers came out, but I always, but I had this, like, preconceived notion that Josh Whedon was the nerd, the nerd person, so whenever Josh Whedon was attached to a piece of content, it would be good for, for, for nerd culture. Whatever that means in 2010. Uh, Izzy, how you were you were just a wee babe, weren't you? I don't. How old were you? <laughs> oh yeah, I was. I'm sorry. You being the youngest one, I'm like, I'm sorry. I always <laughs> default to that question for you. But um, do you do you remember any? Oh no, no, I was. <laughs> anything about? I know. I I can definitively say that I was definitely not even a nerd yet. Like I had like that even didn't like cross my mind at that time. But I just remember. It was a little bit like retrospective after the fact, but I just remember I was subscribed to Entertainment Weekly and the cover, I think the Avengers was like just coming up and I got the cover for that week, which is Joss Whedon with like two shield agents. Uh, and it was just really, it just, like, it was just all over, you know, like it, I think action might've been for Agent mm. Shield, but like either way, like still around that time, like it was Joss Whedon's like still like this big marquee name. And like when I first sort of got ground onto the grassroots of that, I guess, sort of nerd lifestyle. Oh, there's not a better word for it. Like, I like associated with Joss Whedon with, like, you know, a really big name and, like, nerd culture, almost like, I guess, the Russos are now, but we'll probably get hmm. to that later. Yeah, I, I, I feel like it was him and J.J. Abrams back in the day. Uh, yeah. I mean, even still to today, but um, even more so, like, he had Alias, he had Buffy. Um, I think even around that time, they did a Comic-Con panel together where they basically talked about their statuses as, like, the two nerd producers. I feel uh, like, oh, I, man, I feel like I've heard that. A lot. Like, I feel like I remember JJ talking, like, saying that kind of similar line. It's like, hey, you know, nerds kind of look to the both of us as, like, icons or something like that. I don't know. I remember, hmm. really remember hearing people say that. Like, like, either one of them saying that. Yeah, like, these, uh... These kind of uh, mainstream nerd figures, yeah. you know. Um, uh, Jen, do you have any memories of like Marvel, Whedon, anything fandom uh, back in that day and age? So before the Avengers, well, before both the Avengers and Cabin in the Woods, I wasn't really familiar with who he was beyond. Uh, mm. I-, I had a lot of nerdy friends, and they often talked about Firefly and Serenity. So. When it, when he was announced for the Avengers, I kind of recognized him from that, and then I was also just paging through his IMDb, and I was like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> Alien Resurrection! I remember that movie was kind of silly, but <laughs> yeah, it. I was I didn't really have an opinion either way because I liked the Iron Man movies, and having an Avengers movie at the time seemed like a pretty cool thing. So I was like, okay, we'll see where this goes." Yeah, I mean, I feel like the word of mouth was like, okay, this makes sense because Josh Whedon, not only is he the quote-unquote nerd guy, he is the he is the one who always does well with an ensemble. Um, so at the time, like, I, I had never watched Buffy. Um, I don't think I had gone through my binge watch of Firefly yet, but, you know, those are very ensemble-driven shows. Uh, and I also, even back then, I kind of knew him as like, oh, he's like... He's the feminist writer, you know. He uh, he always has "quote unquote" strong female characters. I think at that point, I had watched Serenity before Firefly, um, and I remember River Tam like have. Oh yeah, she's the one with the badass fight scenes. 
Um, so I was like, okay, this makes sense. Like I, this is, this is fine. Like I needed to like read up a little more, but, um, it all seemed to make sense. Um, so I think we should kind of take, go a little back on that triple, uh, on memory lane. Uh, Jen, did you, you said you saw like the first five episodes of Buffy or something like that. Is that correct? Yeah, and I only watched it within the last few years, so it wasn't something mm-hmm. like that was like a nostalgic touchstone for me or anything like right, that. Right, right, yeah. Because it seems, it's, it seems to have a lot of... Um, it has a lot of influence. I know a lot of friends who's, who are still really into Buffy. Like, they may rewatch it on Netflix every once in a while. Like, they swear by Buffy. And when you talk about the creative influence of Buffy, you know, I, I always think about uh, Russell T. Davies... Uh, doing his iteration of Doctor Who, and he said he was very Buffy-inspired. Hmm. Uh, I mean, he straight up got uh, Jane Eppinson, uh, one of the producers and writers from Buffy, to work with him on Torchwood Miracle Day. Um, so I've always found the influence of that to be really interesting. Um, Izzy, have you seen any Buffy? I have not. I've not seen Buffy. <laughs> huh. Anthony? Nope. Nope. Well, this is going great this is so going far. Going great, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just uh, vampires are just not my thing. Right, uh, and the funny part of this whole thing is that this started off as a um, a movie screenplay that was kind of turned into this teen comedy that Joss Whedon did not direct and kind of hated at the end, um, and then he just kind of reconfigured it into like a. a into, you know, what we know Buffy as now. I mean, I think Buffy... Did Buffy have, like, the first musical episode? Because so many shows after that, they all have their musical episodes. It was like a big, about successful one. Yeah, people talk right, about right. that episode a lot. Because mm-hmm. they do the exact same thing in Supernatural. They did it in Psych. They did it in... I'm, I'm pretty sure in Doctor Who. Um, they did, no, they did it in The Flash. I don't think they did it in Doctor Who. But they did it in the Flash. I know, yeah, they did. They did it in a Flash. They did do it in Flash. I feel like now, if you can't be, even Stevens, that's a Raven. You, can, you like... can't be a nerd show on television now and not have a musical based episode in it in some capacity. Uh, are we saying that Joss Whedon is to blame for Glee? No, no. <laughs> he did direct an episode, and Neil Patrick Harris was in that episode. No, Glee, Glee has its own uh, set of problems that we will not talk about. Uh, who has seen Firefly or Serenity like I have? I have watched Firefly, but not Serenity. Okay. Um, uh, Anthony or Jen? Uh, I saw the opening sequence to Serenity. <laughs> <laughs> because of me, right? <laughs> but that's it. Jen, any Firefly affinity at all? Any... Um. I, I was mostly familiar with it in terms of uh, when, back when Halo Three ODST came out, they oh my. got a lot of they got a lot of the same actors from Firefly <laughs> to play the yeah. fire team. So right. a lot of my nerd friends were like, "Okay, this is like a reunion of sorts." And right. at some point, I looked into Firefly a bit, but the whole the whole Confederate theming and the Lost Cause stuff kind of turned me away. Being like, I'd rather just watch something else. So. Yeah, that is definitely not something that I picked up on, like, in in my youth, <laughs> uh, watching it for the first time. Like, they, I think they straight up used the terms, like, Confederate and Union. Um, and it's it's been, it's, I feel like rec- in recent months there's kind of been, like, a, a reckoning, kind of a reexamining of the Western genre, especially with uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 coming out. Easy, girl. And... 
<laughs> wonderful Arthur Morgan impression. Um, what was it? the Cowboy Bebop live action announcement? And I feel uh, like a lot of people. Uh, there was a lot of Firefly discourse. Anthony, you're groaning right now. Do you have anything I, to say I, about I that? I really love Cowboy Bebop. I feel like it's just a show that I could just relax and watch because there's just an there's like just a feeling to the show that I can I've never gotten in any other piece of 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 entertainment. Um, mm-hmm. Like the only thing that ever has gotten me to like that feeling of just zenness is uh, and don't laugh at me. Cowboy Bebop. Yes, uh, I actually get okay. like a level of like zenness when I watch it. Uh, is actually like those twenty four hour lo fi hip hop streams. <laughs> oh. yeah that, that makes sense to me like um yeah the director and the um person who scored it worked very close together and ah. there's this sense where some episodes are very laid back and just playing blues music and yeah. the pace goes along with that so it's very easy to just throw on and relax yeah. to and just like lighting and various uh um uh locales that they go to is just very like the way that space itself, like the backdrop of just the blackness of space, works really well with the colors of the ship itself and the colors of the characters, makes it really stand out in a really interesting way. Um, and I don't, I just really, I I get this really great feeling from it that I've never that I've never gotten from any other anime or television show. Yeah, so I'm just really afraid for that live action that it won't give that same feeling so where, where did the firefly um where did the firefly comparison come from as someone who's like learning oh, about it, cowboy it's Bebop a bunch from of you right now it's a bunch of like uh very uh uh improvised style uh silliness on a spaceship floating through space that's it they're hmm. two cr- okay. there are two crews <laughs> Two crews of a cast, wacky cast of characters with their own, okay. with their own style, and they all aboard the, sh- and they all join the party in different, unique ways. And you see how they join, and they all become one big dumb family, and uh, mm. they're just outlaws floating through space, trying to do little bottle episodes, or but like they build up to like individual character moments. It's yeah, sure, yeah. right. I mean, I see. Like, I haven't watched a lot of Firefly to kind of give you a the the comparison, other than like I know that Firefly is the name of the ship. Well, there's there's not a lot of Firefly to watch anyway, yeah. so uh, you're. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. It's actually uh, it's a Firefly class ship. The ship's called Serenity. Sorry, sorry. That's what I mean. Firefly is um, the name of the type of ship. But um, it, it's. It's something I never picked up on. Just the whole, uh, you know, there well, is a you, everyone you know left why, Earth, and you know why it's called Bebop, right? I have no because that's the name of the ship. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So like, right. I was gonna add that. That's like another connection to Firefly. Um, is that the name of the show is the name of the ship or the type of ship? Um. Hmm. So yeah. Every day I learn something new about anime. Yeah. Uh, it's really amazing. Yeah. Anime. Wow. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, I think the the whole premise of Firefly is basically everyone is, has left Earth, and there are like two factions. There is the kind of a union of planets and there is a confeder- confederation that Nathan Fillion and crew were a part of and uh it's it's called the ship is called Serenity because they they lost a battle um that was like at Serenity Hill or whatever it's called um and you know they still kind of wear you know like the, the fans the fans of Firefly are known as brown coats they still wear the brown coats that signify their uh their allegiance to that confederacy um and this is really weird you know, they, 
<laughs> they yeah they speak they, um mandarin is a pretty dominant language so there are a lot of there are a lot of um instances of them swearing in mandarin um and i have in the doc here there was actually this great little uh tumblr project that someone did and kind of abandoned in like 2013 where these two people would uh go through all of the uses of mandarin in firefly and kind of say yeah um that was nonsense or um that didn't make any sense or that was that also that was a real word but that was weirdly used out of like in not in that context um so man like when you think about serenity uh, and sorry if when you think about firefly i think of like um oh it's another show that fox canceled prematurely and is kind of a uh kind of a martyr the same way like arrested development used to be and to kind of revisit that that celebrated you know single season which produced like you know like nathan fillion is i guess considered to be a national treasure (laughs) Uh, everyone's favorite Halo 3 ODST character, uh, Buck, right? Um, he, um... Oh, I remember Halo 3 ODST, everyone's favorite Halo game out of all the Halos. (laughs) I love ODST, man. I I I thought it was a great campaign. Halo 3 ODST is is another one of my favorite. It's, like, a really good Halo, and, like, it actually is in my top three. And also, sometimes that game also has that same feeling of, like... Not what Cowboy Bebop is, but, like, that, that gloom of, like, it's raining and you hear, mm. like, this orchestral music and you're just walking around in this kind of, like, lonely city where, like, there's no enemies around and, like, that kind of darkness kind of, I don't know, that feeling sometimes in ODST has that feeling. But, sorry. Mm. Yeah. I should play the, I think they remastered it for Xbox One, but I should hit that up again. But, um, you know, when, when you think about... um. You think about Firefly, you think about the images of... Because it, it, it wasn't really focused on the ship a lot. It was more focused on the frontier, like on the... All these kind of Western-looking mm-hmm. locales, which, you know, are... They're alien planets, but for all intents and purposes, it is basically the Wild West. Yeah. Um, and a lot of gunslinging, you know. Um, are there, do they do bounties then, in Firefly? Uh, jeez, I don't think because they that, are that kind of shit. That's, no. the, that's um, the focus of... Of, of cowboy bebop is they go they're they're bounty right. hunters so they go around they do unnecessary i mean and... they seem more like like smugglers like kind of like a han solo kind of deal mm-hmm. um and they have a lot of like crew members and they kind of pick up some passengers like this doctor and her and her her sister who is kind of like this you know she's like very quiet she has like a mysterious past and then like in serenity she kind of like gets activated and becomes like a super badass which is a trope that i don't really like um, and where, what was I getting at? Yeah. It's a show everyone loves, but now everyone's like, oh man, that's a little problematic, isn't it? <laughs> kind of the theme of Joss Whedon here, isn't it? Um, Izzy. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's like someone who's watched this show. Like I pretty much binge watched it on like a plane. And I remember like Firefly meant so much to me as like a kid. It's like, it was like that, like show, like it's that show, like that, like neat, like geek, like nerdy show that like you had to watch, like sort of cement yourself, and like it was, it did have that legacy. Is like, oh, like the injustice was canceled after one season, and now, like you look back at it, like now, like sixteen years, like I always reference in when talking about this show, like I said, like yeah, I liked it a lot, but where are the Asians? Where are they? This is a show that's 
where like the culture, like the world building is like very seeped in like Chinese culture and yet your cast is white. But obviously like that's, I mean like that's not the, I mean I, that's obviously problematic, but like not the biggest problem with Joss Whedon's work. And I think looking back, I think people notice like sort of like the sort of whitewashing of Firefly, like a little bit early after it was taken off the air. And I think probably a couple of years before Kai Cole posts about Joss Whedon. So I think like sort of maybe I think Firefly, like one of Joss Whedon's biggest hits is where like you started noticing like maybe there's something wrong, you know? He was bad from the start. Whoa! <laughs> bad to the bone. <laughs> it's kind of like, it's kind of like uh, when Fallout 76 came out, everyone was just like, holy shit, Bethesda actually makes bad games. Exactly. <laughs> One-to-one analogy right there. It's like Cars 2. No, no, because because Toy Story is actually good, whereas Fallout 3 is bad. No, I said said Cars 2, Anthony. Okay, I'm getting all mixed up here with all these metaphors here. Fun fact. Fun fact. Joss Whedon was a co-writer in the original Toy Story. Oh, fuck. What a, what a, what a connection. Yeah. What a weird resume. Like, I think he did, like, uncredited, uh... Uh, the screenplay work on Speed with Keanu Reeves. <laughs> Yo, are we gonna talk? We do we have it in here on talking about Justice League? We are going to talk about Justice, like uh, very briefly, because that that was a weird case. Um, yeah. Is there anything else the on end. Firefly before I uh, grow you about Runaways? No, uh, that's it. But yeah, Runaways. Was it you who added uh, Dead End Kids? Was this his the name of his run? Yeah, it was the name of his run. Essentially, like so, he had. Well, how I have, well, how I guess how I have them. Like, he had like nine volumes, and now collected it's like four big volumes. But he did this storyline called Dead sure. Kids, and it's a storyline where the current runaways um, essentially time travel and they get stuck in like, oh, I'm trying to remember the time period. Like, it's like, I guess, like, Steve, not like, I mean, like, trying to remember that time period. But I guess like 1910, like Steampunk era ish, like 19, oh, it's so 1950s. It's like it's like the 1950s. What? Yeah, Wait, it's what? it's funny because it's actually my fav- one of my favorite runs of runways that's been written, like Dead End Kids. I thought like I don't know, because like I thought what he I thought like it was an interesting like it's very much like a sidestep from the main story, but I thought it was an interesting direction to take some of the characters in, and I you know I could out of the eight. Like out of like the novels I have, like it's one of, out of the volumes I have. It's still one I can I still like pick up and read sometimes on a daily basis. And it did not hit me until I looked it up that Joss Whedon wrote that. <laughs> um, huh. Well, yeah, that is definitely a direction he went. Yeah. <laughs> That's weird. Let me double check what um where they travel to, but like, yeah, it was a. It was pretty, I think, I mean, I don't remember the, I mean, I was too young to remember the reception to this, but I mean, yeah, like, I liked it. It was pretty fun, but I know, like, there was, I should have, I should have, but I, um, but yeah, from, like, what I remember it, like, it was still, like, really just, like, really very much, like, a detour and felt very different, I guess, than, like, I guess, like, you can't, I couldn't really tell, like, the Joss Whedon, like, tropes as much in that story as, like, when you watch his TV shows. 
that makes any sense. Yeah, like the, the Whedonisms and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. Well, because you know, I I'm I only know the characters in the context of the Hulu show. But did, did, do you remember if he did anything interesting thematically with them that feels we didn't ask in any way whatsoever? There's a big <coughs> sorry. There's a big oh. There's a big storyline about how while the runways he's not in the TV show yet. Um, Victor, so he falls for this girl in this time period. Um, she has red hair because she's a quirky girl. Um, that's a we didn't. Oh good. <laughs> um, I, I would. I, I... I mean, like, have you the, the Scott Pilgrim? Uh, there's uh, Ready Player was Ready. Uh, there's a bunch of there's a bunch of the times where quirky girls with colored hair seems to be like a common thing, not just with Josh Whedon, but Josh Whedon does do it a lot. Yeah, I yeah. believe there's even a term for it called a manic pixie dream girl. Oh, oh yeah, yes. oh, yeah. The classic manic yeah, pixie that's dream it. girl. Well, I mean, I think that says it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's a lot about how. It was a bit, it was a storyline about like, t- about like about time travel, like obviously time travel, like fate, how you can't change like the past, like change your destiny and how, oh, sure. you know, at, at the end of the storyline, like Victor asked like the girl, he's like, do you want to like come back with us like to the present? And she said, no, um, sort of to sort of, you know, stay where she was like, you know, trying, I guess like almost like, I guess like falling into like the common runway seems like, you know, growing up, like adolescence but it was a lot about yeah dealt with like a lot of those things hmm. sad <laughs> sad indeed yeah um let's see anything else on comics because i i am not really uh familiar with his kitty pride astonishing x-men work i know he did do the cure storyline which eventually ended up in the last stand movie which um that's weird i feel like that's really weird how so? Uh, in the sense that he wrote something, you you write something, and then it's like in a, just a couple of years, then like the plot lines from that become like a movie. I don't know, and like you're still doing other work. It, it seems weird. That's why I was hoping that they would use Sword in Age of the Shield because Sword, the organization Sword, kind of the Space Shield, is a Joss Whedon creation. Really? Um, yes. And to have if if that were to somehow loop back, that would be the weirdest thing ever. It would be weird if they bring up Sword and Captain Marvel because also they would have to tie in uh, the TV show in some capacity, and that would be very funny. Mm, will they though? Will <laughs> I keep they? talking about. We'll talk about it later. Sorry. <laughs> Jen, you kind of groaned when I mentioned Doctor Horrible, kind of in between recording stuff. Uh, was that was that was that really a groan, or like did I misinterpret that? Uh, I'm just wondering what your opinion is on that. No, that was definitely a groan. Um, <laughs> it it I guess the sense of humor didn't really click for me because whenever I ended up watching it, it was it was back when it was still on Hulu. Might still be on Hulu, but um, uh-huh. the part where I, I was kind of just going along with it for a bit and then in the first episode at some point he gets that letter from white horse i think or black horse um and bad, yeah bad like horse that. yeah bad horse yeah during that part i just went okay this is doing nothing for me i need to <laughs> i need to hit eject so <laughs> bad horse, yeah bad horse. It, i i usually like neil patrick harris but that was a little too uh that was a little too quote-unquote clever for me mm, right yeah um did you end up finishing it 
Um, yeah, I didn't really end up going back to it after. I just looked up what happened um, and oh. the tragic ending and stuff. But oh, yeah. oh, it, it's probably worse to watch it because, like, it's just very cringy and, like, you know, kind of guy-stalking girl type of thing. But, Chris, what were you saying? I mean, to be honest, I didn't think about it too much until recently when kind of the Whedon discourse was coming back. But, yeah, yes, it, a little bit stalker-y and... Um, Nathan Fillion's Captain Hammer character is just very off-putting. I feel, and just the whole the whole ending, the whole the tragic ending, as you mentioned, Anthony. Um, I don't know what that's I called, but of... is it like reverse fridging? Well, what, what, what was it that happened at the end? Like, spoilers for Doctor Horrible. Oh I guess, God, but, what is it um, like? Twelve years? Um... There's like <laughs> yeah, but like. <laughs> There was like some sort of explosion, right? And like, and uh, Felicity Jones. Uh, wait, what, what, what the fuck is her name? Felicia uh, Day. Felicia Jones. I keep getting names. Felicia, Felicia Day. Felicia Day. Felicia like Day. her character Spiff dies names. defending Captain Hammer, and or something like she's like Captain. Ha she says like Captain Hammer will save us, and she dies in Neil Patrick Harris's arms, and like Neil Patrick Harris joins the League of Evil. Like there's a shot of him like sort of walking into the room, and then after that, there's a shot of him like super quickly like just in like civilian wear, like showing like he's sort of given up the super villain life and hinting like he doesn't want to do this anymore from what i remember mm, right oh uh, yeah i don't i never got that part uh i just i i the, i mean like yeah i did get i like i saw it but i just didn't like oh he gave it up i don't remember that actually but it mm. makes sense but uh he what's it called uh dr horrible brings in a giant gun captain hammer tries to uh, stop him and then, you know, just Doctor uh, Captain Hammer tries to, you know, destroy the gun, and by destroying the gun, uh, she dies in the process because like a shard of something stabs her, and she dies, and he's like trying to hold her, and it's like really sad. It's like, but he goes there in the first place to try to woo her, um, because like he doesn't have like an actual conversation with her throughout the entirety of the film, so. I'm playing devil's advocate here. Uh, there is a lot of reverence for Doctor Horrible, and a lot of it has to do with like it's a product of its time. It it came out during the Writers Guild, where you kind of see a lot of um, creators kind of trying to be clever and you know um, get some sort of art, some get some sort of content out there during this period. And so you had things like Conan O'Brien was doing a lot of unscripted funny stuff, and then. Dr. Horrible came out out of this. And I feel like Dr. Horrible has kind of its own little fan base. So I'm wondering if any of you can, again, playing devil's advocate, can kind of explain just why, um, like you're explaining it to your parents who might not be quote unquote woke. Like, why is Dr. Horrible's behavior. And we're going to be using the word problematic a lot if you want to use that too. But why, why does Dr. Horrible make us feel uncomfortable? I really didn't think about it. it was creepy actually until I guess we started talking about it and it is I think it is kind of true like I remember first I remember first watching it on like YouTube and <laughs> I did feel like something was like kind of like off and it does make kind of sense it's just it definitely got Felicia Day's character definitely got off it felt like the fact like it sort of gave off the vibe that like she really was just there to move the plot along and she really didn't do anything even if you tried to find some reason and the fact that i think we can't even remember her name i think it was penny but i'm not entirely sure like it i think that penny. says like it was oh 
oh great but like i think i mean the fact that like, oh i remember that like maybe as we're and maybe as we're nearing the end of us talking about dr horrible i think that i only remembered it then like that kind of does a disservice to felicia day and yeah that's kind of sad i didn't get super far into it so i can't say a ton of about it but uh i do remember that around the time when i was watching it i was already getting kind of tired of scripts using basically here's this person that here's this uh, girl that i really want to impress as sort of motivation for the character mm -hmm. yeah. so it, it it was definitely one of those things where it was like oh it's this again and that kind of that was the first part of me of, of it starting to rub the wrong rub me the wrong way yeah and you're, you're starting to get into kind of like nice guy like entitlements territory i feel like oh he's doing all these things for her and like he kind of deserves her in a way which is like obviously not true um you know and that's kind of a uh kind of a plot device that i think too many writers especially back then um not that they don't use it anymore but back then was used a lot i think uh, Anthony, were you going to say anything else? I mean, like, uh, all of what you guys have said has been pretty on, on the nose. I just, uh, the whole, like, he st kind of stalking her to kind of have, like, a somehow conversation with her and then, like, being awkward because he's a guy and he doesn't know how to talk to girls that he likes. It's such an overdone trope and it's just... It's just tiresome. I, I mean, kind of rethinking about the whole thing and rewatching it, it feels like, yeah, he became an evil guy, and it reminds me of, uh, I don't know, maybe this is like a hot take, but it reminds me of like certain internet circles today where it's like, oh, the girl won't love me, so I'm going to be a bad guy to impress the girl, and then uh actually becomes a bad person and then doesn't realize that they're being a bad person and then continues to be a bad person are you just talking about incels like what's what's uh, not <laughs> i know what you're talking I mean, about not just like... incels but i don't know <laughs> I, I mean like a lot of a lot of you know people on the internet today grew up watching this so if you watched it and you were just like why doesn't a girl love me i'm such like dr horrible oh <laughs> I don't know. Mm, yeah, I guess that does have to uh, has a lot to say about the effect that you know we we talk about these things and some people are like, oh, they're just TV shows, they're just movies, they don't really matter, they're just for entertainment. But the fact is that they can actually have a major impact on like your your mindset yeah. and how you and your philosophy, I guess and, you know. And as as we mentioned, it came out sorry uh, during the writer strike. So there wasn't a lot of TV on. The internet was, th like, in its, like, g I wouldn't say golden age, but, like, silver age. I could say that we're in the, I mean, sure. look, they're both, uh, all, the internet's bad, but, like, <laughs> we're in the, it was, like, the silver age of the internet, where it was just, like, YouTube just began, uh, was, like, just, like, kick, like getting right, kicking right off the ground. A lot of other mainstream internet sites that we use now, uh, like, every day was just beginning so everyone was kind of flourishing to the internet blogs were being popular and when you had nothing really on television and a lot of people I, I i'll bring this up also well i'm bringing it up just because like a lot of people really like pushing daisies but like that ended because of the writer's strike and has such a cult following so does like dr horrible and josh whedon shows all together so i don't know if there's a connection but i just 
the idea of cult followings and nerd culture connected um, all happened around this same sort of time. Uh, I was uh, in middle school when it came out, I think. So, like, that's, like, when a lot of people are going through their very, you know, emotional states and any sort of connection of emotion, any emotional capacity or, no, sorry, I'm, like, words are weird today. Um, any sort of um, um, entertainment that they could flock to to feel good about themselves uh, was, you know, right there for the taking. So, I don't know, just, it feels like uh, it was made at the right time for the wrong reason no the wrong time sure sure I, you know what i mean yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It ha- the, the the stars aligned the stars aligned for that to be made at that time and for it to be like this this massive thing exactly. like just the yeah and it, it's also fun to be like oh um all those corporations canceling our favorite shows and we are supporting creators we are supporting writers yeah um, but you know, you, you were saying acting like you were, you were younger. I was younger. Maybe we would have been like a lot more, uh, easy to impress. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like there were superheroes in it. So it's like, oh, but it's different than the normal superheroes that we watch. So like, it's interesting and it's different. It makes me feel, you know, that I'm not just l- like looking at DC or Marvel characters. The bad guy's a good guy. Yeah. And... Whoa. It's so different. <laughs> Hipster. Nathan Fillion says the hammer is my penis. And ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. ha, ha. Um, Superheroes talking about their penis. <laughs> all right. So, now I'm done. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, did none of us watch Dollhouse? Because I don't think any of us watched Dollhouse. I know the concept of it. What yeah. is the concept? Is he? I'm looking it up right. Yeah, I'm looking it up right now. Um, oh, oh, I, I can. I, I think I know what it is. Izzy, you can correct me if you find it, but essentially... Uh, All right, let's Eliza go. Dush- <laughs> Eliza Dushku, Dushka, I forget how to pronounce her last name. Um, she, she, uh, she plays a hitman who kind of resets after every kill. And if you want to have her as your hitman... You have to go to the doll house, and then you pick between the dolls that are there, and then that's the person that kills the other person. I think. I think that's it. Am I right? I think so. Yeah. I like, never I, watched. I, I, I like never an, watched the show. I give you. I, I give you a nine. I give you an eighty percent. Yes. <laughs> I give you an eighty oh percent. Uh, I am. I am a real time fact checking here at AP I Marvel. I am a cultural icon. <laughs> the internet You're like one of those characters in uh, Ready Player One who's like studying pop culture. I am, for, an, I am for... a uh, social historian, hmm. digital historian. That's the word. <laughs> well, uh, if you're listening to this and you're wondering, wait, didn't Chris Saber weed analogist in the beginning of this? Uh, I lied. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I even said we're. I even said I'm not. You're supposed to go along with the joke, goddammit. No, I'm not going to um, yes and. The yes and is telling you we're not. I, I saw much to do about nothing. Uh, I think this was... Um, man, I for, this came out in 2012, so I must have seen it in like a small theater in, I think, in Pittsburgh. Like in... Uh, uh, what's the one Scroll Hill called? The Manor? Um, the Manor. I think I saw it at The Manor, and I think I saw it by myself. But I remember much to do about nothing... It is uh, something that Joss Whedon shot, 
um, when he was on vacation from shooting the first Avengers movie. And the backstory of this whole project was that he usually invites his friends to his house, and they just read Shakespeare. They do Shakespeare readings, like, in their living room or something like that. So, I guess Joss Whedon was just bored or, like, impulsive or something like that while he was on vacation from making this huge blockbuster. Yeah, so, they shot this movie at his house. They he did not get white? Yeah, in black and white, he got uh, a lot of cast members from Buffy, Angel, Firefly, you know, even freaking Cabin in the Woods, and um, Ages of Shield, uh, Dollhouse. Yeah, uh, uh, Phil Coulson was there. Phil Coulson was the dad. Um, Did they gender swap it? You said they gender swapped one of the characters. It was like one of like the bad guys, like henchmen who is now a henchwoman who he's also sleeping with, I guess. Um, and, yeah, none of the major characters were gender-swapped. Instead, it was just, um, everything was contemporary, so everyone just wore, like, 2012-ass clothing. Um, they still spoke in the same Shakespeare prose, and they didn't really, they didn't add anything, they just kind of, like, cut a few parts down. There was the and they, party scene, where they all Yeah, the masks. party scene. Yeah, yeah, um... And they added this scene of uh, Benedict and Beatrice. Uh, it was like Benedict kind of dressing up while Beatrice is like in lying down in bed, and he kind of silently leaves her, which is kind of like meant to, I guess, set up their awkward relationship in the in the beginning in the, in the uh, for the rest of the movie. But the only reason I guess I'm mentioning this is because like you know, I don't really have any strong opinions on like how they opened that movie or or any of the other changes they made. It's just like what a what a career this man has had that you can just call up your actor buddies. First of all, you have a bunch of acting buddies and you're like, "Hey, come over to my house. We're going to film a Shakespeare movie. We don't got we don't have permits, you know. I don't care. We don't like I live here, but um <sighs> I think he also watched much to do about nothing. It's, it's just such a curious, like, fascinating project. Uh, Jen, you wrote something here about Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, so Cabin in the Woods is probably the thing that I'm most fond of when it comes to Joss Whedon. Like, um, I saw it uh, I, around the time when I saw it, I was already a pretty big horror fan, and a lot of the things that it does are pretty fun. Like, uh, the way that it does a random um, jump scare at the beginning that's not really a jump scare at all. It's just him spilling his coffee and then the the orchestra comes in with full, just full blaring. It, <laughs> it has very good comedic timing throughout. But um, mm. one of the things with that movie is um, all of the people that they're basically targeting to be in part of this faux horror movie Sacrifice for the Gods is... Um, most of the cast isn't actually doesn't actually fall within those stereotypes, so they're using various things behind the scenes to make them do stupid things. And one of them is there's this character that isn't actually blonde, but uh, they make her use this sort of they basically switch her conditioner with um, some sort of blonde hair dye that makes her stupid and. Uh, <laughs> They really play into this by being like, oh yeah, we're going to turn this up, so we're basically using chemicals to make these people slutty. And it's like, hmm, it, it it's something that back then I was, basically because I was so immersed in those tropes, it was like, haha, very funny. It's 
but uh, looking back at it now, it's kind of slightly uncomfortable because they really get into those roles in a way that feels almost leering at points. So, yeah. Overall, the movie still holds up really well on a um, rewatch, but uh, yeah, it does have those elements now and then. Yeah, it's almost like a bit it's 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 a tiny bit like voyeuristic the way they they kind of like observe these people and kind of poke and prod at them um i've always likened this to like oh this is like scream but a little sillier um yeah I, don't know that. <laughs> I saw it as evil dead but like more self-aware yeah that makes sense because they're yeah, definitely yeah. using the same sort of um outdoor setting they um yeah there's a necronomicon the old gods the lovecraftian <laughs> elements. oh yeah yeah yeah. No chainsaw arms, though. No chainsaw. But, um, well, there is the guy. Isn't like so. Spoilers. Uh, the end of the movie. Uh, the the dumb idiots uh, invade this uh, facility <laughs> that is keeping like keeping locked away in boxes, mythical and legendary cryptids and beasts throughout all of history and pop culture. Um, and then uh, there's a big button that the idiot kids press and releases all of them. Uh, yeah. And then the old gods come back. Um, mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, I think that was very dumb and silly, but I enjoyed it. Like, you know, like ridiculous in like, you know, over the top, uh, you know, uh, playing it for kicks like oh look how self-aware we are and i thought that was really cool so i remember all of that i remember distinctly all of the the plot point by plot point things that happened i need someone to explain me why like what it was the point of all of that because i think something was lost to me the first time i saw this like the themes or like why yes please yes enlighten me um It's basically a sacrificial death cult. Um, <laughs> existential horror. Um, you know, there's things beyond our understanding uh, type of thing. You know, you know, Lovecraftian themes. You know, the old ones uh, mm. type of stuff. And they're locked away, hidden beneath the earth or something, and you got to sacrifice them using um, 1980s horror tropes. I had a screenwriting teacher once uh, in CMU, and... She joked that uh, she had a student she did not like because that student would always end their screenplays by ending the world, and she thought it was the <laughs> laziest thing ever. I usually don't agree with this professor. I, you know, I love her. I appreciate her. Everything she's done for for me, but like when the world ended at the end of this movie, I could not stop thinking about what she said, and I was like, "What? Why is there okay?" Uh, I don't know where I'm going with this because I I um, I haven't really revisited Cabin in the Woods, but I've just never really gotten it. Um, I mean, it was a fun movie for sure. I mean, that scene where they let all the monsters go—that is, yeah, some wild well, shit. I, I'm pretty sure there was like Left for Dead zombies in it. The boomer was uh, in it was in one of the cages, I think. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. There was yeah. uh oh um, what's it called um Dead Space, uh one of the characters from the Dead Space, oh, really? like one of the flapping. Like uh, bird creatures that latch onto people's faces and then stabs them mm. with their thingies. Um, oh yeah, necromorphs. Well, mm. well, necromorphs is the whole thing, but there's the bird ones, the ones that flap around and like specifically latch onto your face that don't look like humans. Oh yeah, yeah, those types of things. I remember seeing Tony. That... Are you saying that Cabin in the Woods is the Ready Player One of uh, horror movies? Horror yes, movies. yes, <laughs> yes. It, it does. It does it really well, though. 
compared to the okay. garbage that is Ready Player One. Well, okay. Um, uh, yeah, Drew Goddard directed that. I think Drew Goddard had collaborated with Joss Whedon on a lot of different shows. Um, he also did a lot of things for Lost. Oh. And he, uh, he wrote... Buffy stuff, right? The Mar- he, he, I think he did Buffy stuff. He definitely... He wrote the screenplay, the, the adaptation for The Martian. And his most recent film was uh, Bad Times of the El Royale. Oh. I heard that was good. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that's... That's a very fun movie. Oh, I gotta mm, watch. I, yeah. I do have to watch it. That was one of my movies from 2018. I gotta watch that. Hereditary. I missed it in theaters, and I was so mad at myself. Um, and uh, I gotta I'm probably gonna Mandy. rent it when it's available. I gotta watch Mandy too. Ugh. Yeah, a lot of well, on the backlog. Um. So yeah. So that. I don't know if that was like the most Whedon esque uh, movie, but like it definitely said it was definitely like, hey, I'm Joss Whedon. I got opinions about tropes. Um. He also. He also did that thing, like, he also used, like, oh, look at all these nerd horror things. Like, if you're seeing this movie and you're, like, a horror fan, and at the end of the movie you see all these creatures that you've seen in other horror movies, you're, it, you're just, you know, your nostalgia sensors flare up. So you're just like, oh, I remember those things. Ah. I guess so. But, I mean, like, at the same time, weren't they, like... You know, there might be, like, I'm just making up examples, but there might be, like, a zombie or a mummy or whatever, but they're not... Like, from a thing, they're just like, oh, like, horror movies use zombies and mummies. Um, whereas, like, in Scream, like, they're, like, quizzing each other about specific horror movies, which I think is kind of a, a different approach, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, there, there's there's not really a right way to do it, but I should rewatch Scream at some point. Anywho, uh, I want to go to the order of, uh, uh, Jen, Izzy, and Anthony, uh, First Avengers movie, um, with the context of like, okay, I know this is a Joss Whedon movie. Uh, which is, what did you think about the movie in general? And if you remember how you first felt about it versus how you feel about it now, feel free to share that too. Sure thing. Um, so back when I saw it, I I think I reacted the same way most people did. Like I had a pretty good time with it, and uh, a lot of the jokes landed. Like the whole he's playing Galica, but no one hmm. no one thinks he. Kn- he thinks no one else notices, but he, but we do. And then he goes back to playing Galaga after the scene ends. There's a lot of snappy bits like that. And, um, most of the fights are okay, especially when they're as a group. Um, going back to it now, it, it's very clear how far we've come in terms of both, uh, CG and how they structure these in particular. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause, um, there's a lot of time spent, uh, basically saying lines that are very winking and nudging in terms of, okay, here's who we're going to introduce next. Like, oh, gamma radiation? I know who can help us with gamma radiation. And Mm. just a lot of things like that. And um, when it's one-on-one fights, he's not the best action director because when the introduction sees with uh, Black Widow is straight up awful, you get a bunch of random cuts as she's hitting people that are clearly not even close to landing. At some point, the camera turns sideways for three to four <laughs> seconds. And it. I think they're trying to do with the perspectives of someone who's been knocked down, but uh, it's just very disorienting and what is going on here. And uh, there, there's a few visual gags, like when they're, when they're visiting a, another country to pick up the Hulk, uh, they pass by this uh, group that's basically 
watching a TV set out in the open with a several goats next to them, and it felt very much like a, oh, hey, third world countries, am I right? And it's, oh, mm. yeah, it doesn't land super well. But, um, yeah, other than that, and one other scene that I kind of wrote down here, um, there's a part where, there's a part where Loki is basically confronting a crowd of people, and an old man comes up to him and says, we've seen your kind before, we will not bow down to you. And immediately after that, Captain America comes in and is like, you know, who else was like this? Hitler. And it's like... <laughs> yeah, it's like you just did the same... You just did the same narrative thing twice. <laughs> yeah, wait, they're in Germany in that scene, right? I yeah. Think so, yeah. But, like, filmed in... Clearly filmed in Cleveland. Like, it was not on location. Yeah. Uh, but for for the most part, it's pretty good at keeping the action going. And, uh... Yeah, it, it's it's not the worst action movie in the world. Just one of those things where it's like, uh, you, you could definitely see where, you could definitely see where the group dynamics started to form with all these characters and how they talk. Yeah, we didn't end ensembles, I guess. Um, Izzy, sorry to ask the uh, how old were you question again, but <laughs> um, like, do you do you remember do you remember watching this movie for the first time at all? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like it definitely had. It had the. I remember thinking as a kid, like when I first watched it, kid being like middle school, but like it had that really perfect blend of like, you know, it was like at the at the time, it was like a comic, like a perfect, like like a really great comic book movie. I felt like, you know, fun, and it was still like pretty well made and better than what I'd seen before. And it really was a movie I think that convinced me like to watch Marvel for the first time I know in like our notes it says um we didn't eventually criticize this as haphazard and I think you can definitely get that with like you know like the thing we like to see in Germany basically saying the same thing twice and like obviously a scene where I've seen Natasha's instruction scene where you just pretty much see her boobs while she's kicking ass is not the best um but uh-huh. yeah um but I think I feel like I mean I think we're gonna we're gonna get to this later, but it feels like Marvel is slowly trying to sort of shape their universes or how they favor it to be, which is more of like what the Russos are like. They're definitely shifting tideway from Whedon to the Russos. Like they just ret- like they just sort of retcon most of like not most of but like Loki in Avengers, and that kind of feels like that's a little shady, and so. You know, I don't know how, but yeah, I don't know how, yes, we didn't think of that, but it definitely felt, that's, it definitely has an air of like, who cares? Yeah, <laughs> it's a, it's the past and like we're moving on. It was good for what it was in the past, but like it's not the present anymore, if that makes any sense. Sure. Yeah, totally. Yep. Uh, Anthony, take me, take me, uh, back to 2012, uh, the young Tony Payone. Uh, the the nerd was writing the, the big blockbuster superhero movie. I am so ready. It's going to be the best movie ever. And then I came out of the theater and I was just like, ah, I was the best movie ever. Um, that's my initial, that's my take. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. I was like, who is this character? And it's like, oh, wait, it's just you. It's just me. It's <laughs> just me in the past. I saw Avengers like three or four times, and that was the first movie I ever saw right. in theaters. 
more than once. Um, so I was pretty honored. You were honored. Okay. That was Inception for me, actually. Um, oh, have wow. you rewatched it again recently, Anthony? Avengers? I watched it, I think, uh, before Infinity War. And it's like, it doesn't really hold up. Hmm. Like, not at all. Why do you yeah. say that? <laughs> like, it's just, I don't know, it's just campy. Hmm. It just feels so campy. Like, um, un- after understanding more of Josh Whedon's work, Josh Whedon has a lot of campy shit in his work. So it kind of makes sense that he would have campy shit in a, you know, a super superhero team-up movie. Uh, would you call it haphazard in any way, <laughs> the same way Joss Whedon does today? Uh, sure. I mean, I I mean, like, I don't know. Haphazard, I, I don't know. I feel like that word is, I don't, I don't think that makes sense for what the movie was. I think it was just a movie for the time. Yeah, I, you know, I, I've been thinking about this a lot, of how uh, Whedon structures the, his two Avengers movies, because, um... He's trying to make, and he said, he's on the record saying this, he's trying to make the assumption that you have not seen the previous movies, which is, yeah, you know, that's a challenge to sit through if you don't know who the hell Thor and Loki are. I do um, want to add quickly, uh, yeah. I do think Age of Ultron is haphazard for other reasons that we'll get to. Sure. But I, but I yeah. think the campiness and, like, the other issues with Black Widow in Avengers 1 isn't necessarily, like... Like, it's a product of its time, but Whedon should have done better. But, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily call it haphazard. Right. I think probably where he was getting at is that he thought that putting everyone together in that fashion was haphazard. So, um, the thing with um, both of these Avengers movies, actually, is that everyone already knows each other or knows about each other before they meet. So... Um, you know, Tony knows who Cap is, Cap knows who Tony, like, you know, Cap's like, I, I've read your file, I've seen the videos, um, and, which is one of my favorite, uh, recurring lines in any media, I've read your file, um, but, uh, and, like, Loki knows everything because of, like, oh, uh, Clint Barton told him the stuff when he was brainwashed, and, like, it's, he's trying to get the movie to move at a certain pace, and, like, it, structurally, it works, it feels kind of weird that, like, um, it's a crossover, but everyone's already kind of aware of their surroundings. Um, I think where the movie kind of falters is um, a lot of the... And it... it, it I, I feel like we should give him a pass a little bit, but a lot of that dialogue feels contrived. A lot of the headbutting, a lot of... You know, they had they have this huge argument, you know, uh, surrounding that, that staff... And he does the freaking upside down shot when they're showing the staff, <laughs> and it's like, it's like, yeah, I, yeah. Um, yeah, that was that was like the weirdest of shots. I didn't understand. <laughs> like there was that one where there was a shot of Thor, and it was like literally taken from the ground. Yeah, it was like an iPhone uh, shot. Like <laughs> I was just like, what? So he does <laughs> like he says, "You're all petty." I've been calling like, that the Whedon shot, where it's like this weird. Um, worm's eye angle, and it's like kind of a Dutch angle too. He does that yes. when um Nick Fury uh gets out of the helicopter in that opening scene, and like Phil Coulson, who was wearing sunglasses at night for some reason, like greets him. 
Um, and... <laughs> oh my god, I forgot he was wearing sunglasses. Um, <laughs> he does that. It, that shot isn't much to do about oh nothing god, in the party scene. Oh my god, what if they reference that in Captain Marvel? If they reference that in Captain Marvel oh and he's god. like wearing sunglasses at night, that would be very yeah, good. It's the, Captain Marvel is actually the origin story of Phil Coulson's sunglasses. Um, oh, it'd be great. But, you know, he, he does that weird shot in much to do about nothing in the party scene. He does that weird shot in the Agents of Shield pilot, which he directed. Like Melinda May is like punching a dude, and it's like at the most awkward angle ever. Um, but you can tell, even if you've seen Serenity, which I think was like a, it was shot well. You know, it was a you know it was like a gritty. It had a gritty Western aesthetic. Avengers One looks like a TV movie, and it's very off-putting. And going back to the dialogue, yeah, yeah that's what I think. I mean, like the CGI yeah. in the Hellcarrier looks weird. Yeah. Um, is that yeah. I can't, I can't place it as looking like a TV movie now because I like because going back then I have to compare TV movies back then to it. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah, I, I think it's more and like, like I just can't see it. Maybe because I have this cinematic image of what that movie is. Um, I mean, like the CG, like looking at the CGI. For um for Avengers one is like by all metrics way worse than what we have now. So it looks like CGI that you would see in a mo- in like a TV show. Sure, Jen. Jen, what were you about to say? Oh, I was Sorry. just gonna say um I feel like it looks like Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know I've heard, I remember that name, but, but that that, that, that was a stylistic choice they made. Like um. You know, you, you, if you if you go to, like the Robert Rodriguez the school of filmmaking and like with Sin City, like he's using CGI as like kind of this new artistic medium, whereas like you go back to like Star Wars prequels and it's like ah, we're just not gonna make a set. Um, oh my god, I remembered the trailer for this movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, this was a bad movie, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it was pretty bad. I haven't seen it. I could not tell you. Angelina Jolie in an eye patch. <laughs> um, the, the the argument scene where Cap and Tony are like kind of like you know it's a little machismo and they're like you know, put on the suit let's go a couple rounds and it just seems so amateur as compared to like kind of their dynamic in Civil War um, mm. and it feels more real in Civil War. Yeah, this and granted, the, the like reason why I say be. maybe you give this movie a pass is because this is the first time you're seeing them interact. You know, you've got to start from somewhere, yeah. and, like, Civil War is, like, several, several years later where their uh, relationships kind of matured. But, um, yeah, I definitely, I kind of know what Joss Whedon means when he says um, haphazard. And, you know, Jen, you are talking about a lot of the quips, uh, to be honest, even back then, I was a little annoyed by the quips because well, I found them hilarious. I did, that's because I'm younger. than Well, you, yeah, I mean, I I, I'm, I realize I'm in the minority here, but I kind of saw I never saw Tony Stark as like a guy who is like nonstop quips and like gives everyone a nickname, like you know, Point Break and Legolas and stuff like that. That's like it's just like Sawyer from Lost or something like that, and it just didn't seem it didn't seem right I to disagree. me. Disagree. Well, uh, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I am just so used. To, I whenever I watch something these days, I always when it if it's like a prolific writer like Joss Whedon or Stephen Moffat, um, I always try to imagine their face when they write this thing because I can always 
I feel like I have a super sense for like smugness <laughs> oh, and self satisfaction. And this is gonna be so fun. When when Joss Whedon when he wrote um Loki's like yelling at Black Widow, and he says, "Listen to me, you mewling quim." And it's like, "Oh, Joss Whedon, you think you're so awesome, aren't you?" Like, or like, well, I was thinking of the line where Loki's yelling at Thor. It's just like. I have sent it off. I know not where. <laughs> There's that Shakespeare that, that home reading, so uh, rubbing now. off of that him. That scene is just so funny. Yeah, Renfair stuff. It's, yeah, do I look to be in a so gaming mood? Funny. <laughs> like, uh, and that that whole like that scene did not to be did not need to be that much Shakespeare, but he like sh- deliberately made it so, and it would it just. Uh took me out of it, it hey but don't worry uh don't worry guys marvel fixed it <laughs> marvel marvel said that it was the mind stone that, that's what made oh. him speak in that shit that the same like those shakespearean words yeah some weird retconning there um anyway um i i, I don't know it it's it's something that i definitely enjoyed watching the theater because a lot of the humor um all the time, yes, all the timing was correct. Like, I feel like, and we talked about this in, uh, I don't think anyone here was in the episode, but we had an episode with Jack Nugent where I kind of ranted about Justice League, which we'll talk about later, and how everything in Justice League felt like it was all correctly timed. Like, it was like a scientific measurement on, like, when the humor should come in the movie to make it a successful audience movie. And looking back, I kind of feel the same way about The Avengers now. What movie? I'm Justice sorry. League. Okay. Yeah, like yes, yeah, like yep. the oh, I mean the like, shot of hit of Hulk tell. picking up Loki and like swing him back and forth is hilarious. Yeah, um, yeah, but and and you know that 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 three sixty shot like you know that's the shot, the shot. Yeah, that, that my that my my um, decade. <laughs> my screening, they were all applauding during that. Um, hey, we all applauded when Thor came flying in. Yeah, yeah. Um, Oh god, my screen was terrible because someone bought a baby. Oh, good time. Um, oh no. <laughs> people would not stop talking over the scenes. People would keep laughing like a full minute after the scene was done, after the joke was done, so that way I don't even know what they're saying afterwards. Anyway, it's not as bad as uh, that Mission Impossible Fallout screening where the dude next to me took off his socks and shoes. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> Recliner oh. seats too, so he just like had him sticking out. It was terrible. Why? Oh, Why man. are people like this? Anyway, Joss Whedon. Um, <laughs> any last word on uh, Avengers One before we get to Age of Ultron? I, want... I realize I ranted a lot about that. I feel like I should say something else about Avengers. You don't I... have to say anything. We can just keep yeah, moving let's on. Let's just keep moving uh... on. There's time. Uh, can I get? Uh... Izzy, Jen, and Anthony to do the same, but for Age of Ultron. Especially with the context of, hey, I saw that first Avengers movie. Like, I definitely, I mean, I, this is definitely most people's opinion, but didn't like Age of Ultron as much as Avengers. And that's when you, I think that's, I feel like, that, I mean, the rumors for, I guess you heard, like, all this stuff about, like, you know, Joss Whedon not being happy with Marvel then. Like, that's when it first started, like, cropping up. And I... To be quite honest, like, look, I my my hometown's like pretty conservative. I didn't understand like the whole sort of gripe with Brutash at first, but uh, like after looking back, like like a couple like months later, I I started to understand more. I'm like, oh, like that's 
really, that's really bad. And it definitely was, it definitely was frustrating because it felt like, yeah, like at the time it was like Joss Whedon, like you're this big feminist writer, like are you dumb? And it felt like kind of <laughs> like sort of short side on his part. And then we realized, oh no, that's just the way you are. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I definitely, I think, I definitely feel like this is the film that's like sort of like made him like even take a break. Even like now, like he hasn't really come back in any sort of big capacity. Like even Justice League didn't even like give him really much. No. And like Batgirl like is happening, question mark. But it's sort of like Brian Singer working on a Red Sonja film. Like don't do it, please. Like, um, but yeah, like I felt like it definitely felt like a boiling point, I think. It was a boiling point for a lot of people, I think. And, like, 2015, I think, in general, was just, like, not a great year for Marvel. And, Marvel, Mar yeah, for Marvel Studios. And it just felt, like, kind of, like, tiring at that point. And there was a point where, I guess, I think people started to... I feel like Age of Ultron was the movie that made people think... That made some people think, like, are superhero movies done? And then, obviously... The, they were obviously like, yeah obviously not but like they got they got a lot better but like that i think it was just part of like a really bad year for marvel and for him there was the and per model stuff right true colors yeah it showed true colors from everyone uh it, it's really telling just how you know when headlines are like oh um Avengers 1 made, like, a billion point five, like, one point five billion dollars, and, like, Avengers 2 made, like, one point two billion dollars, and everyone was like, oh, it's a failure! Um, I obviously made up the numbers there, that's basically what the narrative was, and I think that's ridiculous. Uh, Jen, your basically. Age of Ultron, your Age of Ultron memories. Yeah, so, Age of Ultron was kind of the movie that started to give me Marvel fatigue. Ooh, like, yeah. uh, like, the, the very... All of the characters started to sound like um, Joss Whedon's version of Tony Stark, where, like, e even from the beginning scene, they're, they're doing all the same sort of jokes together as they're fighting in this action scene. And uh, I remember at the time, I thought Ultron was kind of fun as a villain, even though he was... I feel like he was mostly only interesting because he was also making jokes because otherwise he was getting into really college philosophy, freshman college <laughs> philosophy bullshit. <laughs> Basically being like, I think man needs to have a, another extinction because it, it's the natural course of things just to have a bunch of extinctions all the time. It, that, that's and actually the like... sadism. Uh, okay. Uh, where the idea <laughs> is that to have a full communist revolution, you need to have a nuclear holocaust. Oh, I am not kidding. Anyone can look up Posadist, P-O-S-A-D-I-S-T, and that is what it is. You've been reading a lot, Anthony. I have lately. been. I have been reading a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. But yeah, it's one of those things where, at the time, the Hulk slash Black Widow thing was incredibly uninteresting to me. Like, uh, it was one of those things where it's like, oh, he's just going for a King Kong thing. And I... Even even though I had watched all the movies that came in between Avengers and Avengers 2, aside from Thor Dark World, um, it's one of those things where it was like, I don't feel, this dynamic feels like it came out of nowhere, and like, 
it felt it felt very forced. Like I don't feel like Mark Ruffalo and uh, Scarlett Johansson, at, even at the time when I was watching it, had any sort of chemistry whatsoever. Mm. And and watching it now, it feels even more stilted. Um, also, this was the movie where two different competing uh, Marvel properties, uh, X Men and this movie, needed to have Quicksilver at the same time. So <laughs> that really stuck out to me at the time. They gave the MCU ones accents, like phony Eastern European accents. Hey, where's that Scarlet Witch accent, anyone? Jeez, <laughs> uh, I don't even remember. Has anyone, like, I... has anyone made a meme where uh, it's it's like just text that says uh, Scarlet Witch's accent, and then it's just like the, the snapping effect uh, attached to it? Because I think that would be very funny. Be the meme you want to be, yeah. Tony. I say you make that meme, and we'll get it to a thousand retweets. Um, anyway, Anthony, <laughs> yeah, did you watch? I remember I took people to see Age of Ultron with me at CMU. Were you one of those people? Maybe, I don't remember. Maybe, if you maybe were. actually, I want to say yes. I want to say yes. Maggie Davis was there, and she was very livid about Scarlet Witch's costume. Yes. Um, I think, yes, 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 yep, yep, we were all there. Yep, we were all there. And then I remember going home and I remember reading an article about how, like, yeah, this movie should be critiqued. And this was the first, uh, like, this was my first foray into understanding how criticism works. <laughs> I was, look, I'm like, I was like 19. Age of Ultron was, was my critical awakening. No, I was like 19 and I realized, hey, you can enjoy something, but also you can critique it heavily. And also it can mm. be bad. Because I was, I don't know, I was dumb. I never read anything uh, before, you know, 2013. Now, now arguably, you read too much, Anthony. And now I just read too much. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, like, this, it has so much wrong with it. And it just, it feels like all of the characters are the, are, as we said, like, all Tony Stark. And that kind of sucks. Um, I think Vision was cool. Um, I think, like, even watching the forced relationship, like, I didn't think about it immediately after I saw the movie, but while I was watching the movie, I felt that the forced relationship between, um, Bruce and Natasha was so dumb and unnecessary, like, almost like, like, combined with the actual offensiveness of it, it just is like, offensive in the sense of like writing like how you write characters um that's how people are yeah exactly life like (laughs) i think there was there was two dichotomies in my head of just like one part of me was just like this is really dumb and out of left field and then the other part of me was just like oh yeah you know that's how movies work there has to be a romantic subplot and i think that's bad yeah um, I totally, I totally get what Joss Whedon was doing. Yeah. Again, like, yeah. Screenwriting 101, like, he tries to tie it all together thematically, where the basic premise of Age of Ultron is, hey, what if the Avengers aren't good for the world? And the word that Joss Whedon uses a lot is monster. So... You know, um, I think Cap even says the word monster in his, like, final speech. Like, Ultron thinks we're monsters. Um, Bruce Banner thinks he is a monster. Uh, 
uh, Black Widow calls herself a monster, which is like kind of where things went awry with the fan base. Um, and you know, it's I don't. It's an interesting concept for sure. But, you know, like, you know, Jan and Tony, you both mentioned, like, they, they're they kind of all Joss whedon now, and I think it was more evident in this movie than the other one. Um, I think the term is flanderization, if you were to look it up on TV tropes, where, like, everyone kind of becomes <laughs> a self-parody of themselves. So, um, definitely for sure, like, Tony Stark was even more quippier he says, he mentions Prima Nocta, and I'm like, oh, Joss Whedon th- thinks he's a, a genius for saying that in a Marvel movie. <laughs> um, Captain America will not stop joking about how he used to be frozen. I'm like, as the lead authority on waiting, and it's like, that's that's the only like line of dialogue he has. Just like, oh, he's a straight-laced guy who doesn't curse. like swearing, and also he was frozen that one time. Um, See, and... Like, like... Of all the things, of all the things, Josh, why did, why did, why did Natasha have to be the monster? Not because she fucking assassinated people, and because people made her into a monster to assassinate people, but that she doesn't, she can't conceive children. That's what makes her the monster. Does anyone want to jump on the, uh, did anyone read those quotes about, womb theory from Joss Whedon because he seems to love talking about womb theory. Is this like the Oedipus <laughs> complex? Maybe it is. It, it, a lot of it has to do with like like envy. Like like he has this, and I'm paraphrasing, but he has this belief that you know men are jealous that uh, women are able to, you know, cis women rather are like able to conceive. You know, they're able to bear children. Um, and it's it's just so weird to me, like how what? often he talks about this in interviews. Yeah, um, sorry, I can find the quote here. Like, that's just me. I'm just kind of shocked by this. Like, I did sure. I didn't, yeah. Like, I didn't read the quotes that you posted in the Google Doc because I uh, I just didn't. But like, what the fuck? Um, I try to think of how he got here. Uh, I'm reading the quote from Josh Whedon in Whedon-esque. Um. I see. What is wrong with women? I mean, wrong. Physically, spiritually, something unnatural, something destructive, something that needs to be corrected. How did more, and you can stop me whenever you want, when half sure. the people in the world come out incorrectly, I've spent a good part of my life trying to do that math, and I'm no closer to a viable equation. And I've yet to find a culture that doesn't buy into it. Women's inferior, inferiority, in fact, their malevolence, is as ingrained in American pop culture as it is anywhere they're sporting burkas. I find it in movies, I hear it in the jokes of colleagues, I see it plastered on billboards, and not just the ones for horror movies. Women are weak. Women are manipulative. Women are somehow morally unfinished. Objectification. Another tangential rant avoided. And the logical extension of this line of thinking is that women are, at the very least, expendable. Look, I'm weak, but I'm not manipulative, and I'm not expendable. Oh dear! You know he could have. He could have. And I don't think Jen is either. I could. I, <laughs> he could have fucking fixed it. He could have. He says the theory I developed in college. Oh. Is oh. womb envy. Oh oh. Biology. Oh. Women are gen- are generally smaller and weaker than men, but they're also much tougher. Put simply, men are strong enough to overpower a woman and prop- propagate. Women are tough enough to have and nurture children, with or without the aid of a man. 
Oh, and they've also got the equipment to do that, to be part of the life cycle, to create and bond in a way no such man. Okay, I can't really hear will. any of I can't hear any more of this. <laughs> That's this, was, there, this was 2007. Uh, yeah, right? Oh, uh, wow. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, some really part nice. of me thought, hey, why did the internet come out faster? I think uh, that's all we can really say. I don't want to say no, anything else. I, about I'm more that. like being. I'm being facetious. I like. I don't like it. The internet, but like, I think people should have been more aware of how like horrific that quote is. Yeah. Um, as someone who has dealt with a number of uh, turfs in my timeline before, um, saying all sorts of making all sorts of transphobic arguments to me. That is one of the most turfy paragraphs I've ever heard. <laughs> right? Yep. Goodness. Uh, just this bioessentialist garbage that... Yeah. That, I, I, I figured this out in college. I wasn't... Like, <laughs> to me, that's just the silliest part what of What the that. actual fuck? Jo- yeah. Josh Whedon was sitting at a desk in his fucking dorm room on a Friday night you know because of i don't know rejection or something i don't know what men think why women won't like them he's writing down like scribbling in ink by a candlelight oh this is it this is the whole thing i've cracked the code and it's like this giant it's like on this giant piece of parchment and and then it goes flying out the window and it's lost to the eons and then he's able to talk about it in public in an interview, because he needs to, and he feels like the world needs to hear his bullshit. He'll have a Patreon and a YouTube channel, that's what he'll do. <laughs> He's um, gotta make money! <laughs> um, <laughs> Izzy, speaking of 2007, do you know about his Wonder Woman script? <laughs> oh, that's a great, that's a really, that's a really good segue, good job. Um... <laughs> I can host a show. I'm not that sleepy. I was going to kind of like, speaking of Joss Whedon sitting at his desk, but like, no, yeah, but like, yeah, that Wonder Woman script is, God, dar- gosh darn awful. I don't understand. I, he, I, there's, I saw an article, he stands by his infamously awful Wonder Woman script. I'm like, why would you do that? Also, well, what, wow, what elements of the so script are awful in your eyes? What elements of the script are horrible? And the fact that he, fetishizes Wonder Woman in the scene descriptions. The fact that most of the movie is centered around Steve Trevor, despite being a movie about Wonder Woman. Um, the fact that I think she's more of like a plot device than like an actual like character. Um, he said, um, I'm, I'm, I'm in an article for the AV Club, people, he, he quoted um, that people, he said by his, when he said by his script, he said, People say that it's not woke enough, he theorizes, admitting that he wasn't the most woke individual at the time, but he says that critics aren't looking at the bigger picture and that he stands by what he wrote. That quote, uh, that was actually on video. I think Variety interviewed him on the red carpet of Infinity War. Yes. So you can date that to 2018 where he defended his weird sexist um, 2007 script because I remember watching that video and he was like, well, uh, I looked back at that script and I thought it was pretty great. And then he smiles for like three whole seconds and it's like the creepiest smile ever and then he just keeps going on and it's like, it, it's, it's, you know, he uses the word whore a lot in this script. Um, he, I, 
You know the, what, the like the reason why I want to bring this up. Yeah, go ahead. You know what scares? You know what kind of like scares me if I think about? Because like, let's say this script somehow got made, a, made. like yeah, greenlit into a movie. Like, would we? Would people be heralding it as like a Buffy kind of thing? Like, oh, look at what Joss Whedon did for like feminism, like female superhero movies, and like, oh, it's not like Catwoman. It like is maybe it will maybe it would have done better, but it kind of scares me know. like that could have been what happened. Actually, I think... It, yeah, I mean, I that, that's know. a good question to ask because I think one of our shortcomings in this episode is that none of us have really seen Buffy. Yeah. So I'm not sure if we understand yeah. if it registers to us how impactful that show was. I don't know. Was, Maybe but... people would have realized that he was shitty at these types of things like earlier than Age of Ultron. Like, you have to go back yeah. in time and get this movie made. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I don't know. Yeah, it could have bombed his career. Like, yeah, yeah I, I mean, he probably wouldn't... Uh, yeah, I mean, I... Like... I think Age of Ultron, I mean, like, there was obviously examples of it before Age of Ultron, but I think Age of Ultron, it clicked for a lot more people that, like, oh, this is, this isn't good. This is not, this is not healthy writing. This is, like, and then you kind of recontextualize all of his other work and realize... So you're saying people in 20, in 2007 would say that? I think they might, it might have clicked sooner for him. I don't think it would have been, I don't think it would have been this cultural thing where like cult like people would have culturally realized it as a problem but i think with josh whedon specifically because of the people that are specifically following him it would have changed but that's me being optimistic i have no we can't go back in time and fix it i think it would delay it by a few years like if people found out in 2015 when age of ultron came out i think people would have found out in 2012 when avengers came out like i think it would delay by a few years like it was it's inevitable i think it would have been inevitable but it would have sort of expedited it. Like, you would have found out sooner that he was a... Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Two things I want to bring up. Um, Two points on this uh, little document that we have here. Um, Number one, and these both have to do with each other. Number one is... um, what does being canceled mean to your eyes? Because we've been using that term a lot. Can- like you, this person is canceled. You know, in the past couple of years, um, but he may be he might be canceled in our eyes. Like if we like go in our own social media spheres and our own peers, like he, no one will like him. But when you talk to say like a wider audience, people who don't really care about what he wrote in two thousand seven, people who who've never heard of any of this before. Um, you know, the example I gave is that, like, my dad was kind of like, oh, you know what, uh, baby, it's cold outside is not a creepy thing whatsoever. I don't understand what's wrong with people. Um, and tying into that, but the second thing I wanted to bring up, what is feminism back then, let's say circa 2007 or, like, even, like, in the 90s versus what is feminism now? Uh, because, Anthony, like, you're, you're trying to say here that... Um, if people knew about this stuff, if this was on the big screen, like, ten years ago, people might feel about him differently, but my question is, would they, because I feel like being, and, you know, I hate overusing the word woke, but I feel like that was a, there was a different standard at that time, even ten years ago. I I think ten years ago is different than, like, you have your J.K. Rowling, like, there was a, a meme I saw that was, like, J.K. Rowling and Josh Whedon and then someone else are just, like, their 90s, like, and I'm putting this in air quotes, progressive, where they're seen as, like, being cool and hip, but, like, actually, like, you know, you have J.K. Rowling being, like, a turf, and, uh, well, I mean, and Josh Whedon saying very transphobic shit, 
you know, with his sexist wound theory. Um, and I think that's like being the, the bare minimum was needed in like, not needed, but was shown in the nineties. And that was good enough for people. I think in 2007, Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I think the backlash would have been there, but it wouldn't have been as big in the sense that in 2015, we were more aware of all of the wrongs where in 20, 2007, we would have been aware of some of them. Does that make sense? People will be like blogging about it on Live Journal or Blogspot, but like yeah, it like, have found like yeah, yeah like it was Twitter like, it was, was not was, as big back then. Like it was introduced, I think, back then. But now that we've like sort of lived through it more, like now we're realizing, okay, like we want more. We've had like enough of like this like portrayals. Tr- like, like Tropic Thunder that. came out in two thousand eight. Tropic Thunder could not be made today. Yeah, and yeah. Tropic Thunder was and like, I I actually like I I haven't watched it in a while, but. Every time I think about Tropic Thunder, I think, oh, that's a good movie. That's enjoyable. Um, and, like, that has a lot of problematic shit in it. <laughs> and I think it's part of just a understanding and awareness of the culture. Because I saw, I found articles from 2008 talking about why it was bad. But it wasn't, like, that wide of an audience. But I think people would have been more aware of it earlier on. Um, but it depends, it depends on, it depends on the, the, the culture and the system of, you know, you know, control. I I don't know. Like it's, 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 it's part of the systemic issues. Like look at, look at Woody Allen. We've known that Woody Allen has been. I don't want to look at Woody Allen. (laughs) uh, Yeah. Uh, but like we've known Woody Allen has been garbage for a long time and like, I don't even say like now people are saying Woody Allen's garbage. Like, like nationally, it's like people are saying he's garbage when it's like we should have been saying it 10 years ago. Um, I, same thing with R. Kelly. Like, now you're realizing R. Kelly's bad. R. Kelly was bad when the, when like the boondocks covered it. Well, I want to, so it's like, I kind of want to, so I want to refute that a little bit because yes, these people are problematic, but the problem is like, so we're really realizing that they're problematic. But I guess it's the answer to one of the questions here. Like, Is society realizing that they're probably... I don't think so, because I don't think general... I don't think, like, the larger... I think a small... I think maybe a small subsection, like, under 50% of people are realizing these people are fucked up. Like, it's problematic, you know, it's... You know, we should do better. May, uh, yeah, under 50%. But you still have a large portion of audiences who, like, don't really care. Yeah. Like, I think and that, that in, sucks. Mm-hmm. I think with Josh Whedon, as you said, Izzy, it would have been realized earlier not not in 2007 but it would have been realized earlier yeah uh can i get jen in this conversation i just want to know what what say you like do you concur disagree with anything that's been said here yeah it's it's like one of those things where um the bill cosby stuff it it wasn't really investigated as thoroughly until hannibal Buress had that whole stand-up bit about um him being a rapist and uh like, it's one <laughs> like what <laughs> yeah it's definitely one of those things where some of these people we already know are like this and they're talked about in that way but it takes a celebrity saying something or in r kelly's case a five series document a five-part documentary before people before the police actually does anything about it yeah, yeah. um yeah. it's 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 interesting kind of seeing um Seeing the fallout from the whole Weinstein thing, because everyone is kind of debating on, 
you know, where is the line drawn? So are, are um, is Kevin Spacey comparable to Aziz Ansari? You know, uh, what does being canceled mean? Like, where does James Gunn fit in that? And I guess my question is, like, where does Joss Whedon fit in that? Because we we four in this call, we know that, like, Joss Whedon is, like, not a cool dude. He has very bad opinions, and that will be affecting the art that he touches, and that art will affect people's mindsets. That will uh, have a negative impact in some way. Um, but he is not... He is not Kevin Spacey level. Like he's not on the, in court right now. He didn't, you know. Like uh, we had this, we had this internally. But the, the counterpoint to Joss Whedon's infidelity was that oh, it was like this. Um, it was he had affairs, yes, but they were consensual. Uh, but the real problem stemming from all that was uh, the power dynamic. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, like he is the he is the he is the boss man and. Um, <laughs> Dear God, reading that quote out loud of like him, like oh, it's like I have a disease. It's like it's like they're all over me, and it, it was just such this strange thing to read, and I just don't buy that at all. Um, and you know, I I don't think it would be, even though it might they might have been consensual relationships. Like I would not be surprised if he it, it sounded like he displayed some sort of like a lot of predatory behavior on set in in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he strikes me as someone who often acts out, but then self-flagellates about it later. Like, yeah. that, quote, it, yeah. that quote is very much a, oh, woe is me, I'm a monster, but also it doesn't, nowhere in that does it sound like he has any plans to change or anything like that. He he casts himself as a fallen, he casts himself as a fallen victim for doing a shitty thing to someone else. That sounds like um, a plot of, like, uh, not a plot, but, like, the themes of all of his characters. <laughs> yeah. Little... What 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 is it with shitty men and writing characters that are literally shitty versions of themselves? There's a lot of that. There's like a lot of that. Like a lot. Yeah. Um, is is Joss Whedon modern day I... nerdy Woody Allen? So so here's the thing. I no, he's not. He is not Woody Allen. Let's yeah. Sure. Woody Allen is. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, I think one of the issues, like moving forward, I don't know if this is like the moving forward portion of the of the the podcast with we can move forward yeah. i don't really want to talk about the new bio tweet uh, uh, yeah, that's an a, hour 45 that, and a half. That, that is that is a that is a part of the whole womb thing and he's he has not changed as a person he has not developed and understood he has been the same person he was in 2007 and i i'm picking out 2007 because that was the the year but like that's mm-hmm. like yeah. that's the year i picked but i think when, like the best thing that we as viewers of media and content can do to to a shithead like Josh Whedon is to take away his power. And some people will say that that's through shame, but I think the best way to take away his power is to put him into irrelevancy. Where the man almost made a Batgirl movie. Yeah, and I th- can you believe? I think th- what that would have been. Yeah, I think to put him push him into irrelevancy is the the best way for people like that to not be in our culture anymore because no matter like people who have that amount of power will always try to find ways to capitalize on any amount of anything that they have and any amount of culture that exists connected to them. So, yeah, you know, Josh like I, I bring up Louis C.K. because, like, you have 
uh, article, you have like uh, sound bites of him saying like, oh, you can't say, uh, like there was that whole thing that he said about how you can't tell a person that you didn't hurt them. And it's like, are you fucking kidding me? And then you're coming out and being like, you know, fucking transphobic and like shitting on, on school shooters. Like, what the fuck is that? Because he realized that the only way for him to still get money and to still gain, have that power is to talk about bullshit that other people will still, you know, culturally enjoy. And I put that in quotes because it's, it's a, a horrific side of culture. To, to completely reject someone, to completely remove horrific ideas is to completely remove their power. And to remove their hierarchical standing in culture. Does that make sense? I mean, you guys yeah. know, like you, we could disagree. Like yeah. I yeah. think tackling, like I think, you know, understanding their uh, like their place in our system is the best way to stop other examples of the system infiltrating us. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean that's what they're doing yeah. with like Milo and like yes. taking him off yes. of Patreon and all and Twitter and whatnot, yeah. right? Yeah, and um, I think deplatforming. Yeah, and I think yeah. finding other like finding means of deplatforming people of like, yeah, people are gonna say something shitty, just like fuck them, like they don't deserve to be like we can we can talk about how like bad they are, but I don't think we like like harping on the issue about how bad they are is not going to remove their power. It's gonna keep them relevant. And that's... Uh, Jen, then, can I get Jen and then Izzy? It's one of those things where I feel like it's a pretty proven strategy now, right? The thing that Louis C.K. and other people like that do, even as he's in Sorry, where they get caught doing something shitty, they put out a very insincere apology, they wait a few months, and then they come back and they're basically pandering to the type of audience that will basically look over all of that and like them because they're saying shitty things. Um, I think that the way around that is to turn this into a workplace issue. Like, mm-hmm. the, that, the Bones director, um, the person who was directing a lot of those episodes, um, at least I think it's Bones, it came out that he had been abusing people on, on the staff, Jeez. and the thing that finally got him off was they all the cast members came together and they were like, look, we can't work with this person. So I think that the way to handle someone like Joss Whedon is if you're an actor within one of those movies, I know how for actors, especially sometimes there's this issue of being blacklisted by directors. If you speak out or anything like that, but I feel like some of the safer actors, some of the, I I feel like some of the men have a obligation to basically be like, Look, I know this dude's history. I will not work with him. So you need to find another director, or I'm going to walk off this movie. Mm-hmm. And if that keeps happening, if people are like, "Look, I've heard the things that he said. I I've seen some of the ways that his opinions surface in the, these particular works. I do not want to work with him." That's a much quicker way of cutting him off than. Um, canceling him over social media even though sometimes sometimes reporting on it from the outside can also have an effect of uh if there's enough groundswell getting them out of there mm. yeah yeah uh, uh, yeah because like my because the thing is like i agree with both i agree with both of you jenny and anthony completely my only problem is that like there is like that other 
like what feels so much like an other side of culture that will always like that like they that like is that is almost like assured money at this point because of just what their nature is like the one thing I thought about immediately about like after you know in this discussion was um like just well as of our recording two nights ago Bohemian Rhapsody won the Golden Globe for best picture drama and obviously another shit person Brian Singer um was credited as a director of that movie even though he was like a bunch of shit happened and eventually got fired but according to a DJ credit he is still credited as a director even though you know he wasn't great on the job and people and then he posted about it on his Instagram being like what an honor thank you like some pictures from the movie and you have a bunch of comments being like you know fuck off Brian Singer this is not your award this is Rami Mount's award this is Queen's award all the other producers award but you have a lot of comments being like yes Brian Singer best director ever which even then that's not true but you have you still have this culture that will tend to will still disregard I think all this crap um all this crap and like all the shit things that they've done and it is kind of sad and it feels kind of hopeless at times and I do agree that like it definitely starts in the workplace and then speaking up and having unfortunately like the men like voice up like and say like I work with it like look this person is not someone to work with like in Bohemian Rhapsody's example Ronnie Mogg had to speak up and said look I will walk away if you don't fire this person because he threw things at my threw things at me during production and I'm glad they're I, I'm glad men are speaking up and they recognize that they do have to speak up but I do also hope that we can reach a point where it's men and women who will be sort of equally respected if that makes any sense like if, yeah, if that makes any yeah, sense. Yeah, remove that hierarchy mm-hmm. of men over women. Exactly. Of. And, like, just to answer... Yeah, totally. yeah, and just to answer, like, your final question, Chris, about feminism... I don't know if you asked, like, the feminism now versus feminism, like, in 2007. Um, sure. I guess feminism... I guess feminism now, like... I'm trying to, I'm just, yeah, I'm just trying to think. But feminism now is definitely a lot more, like, realized and holistic and generalize isn't the right word but i know inclusive is the right word um and it's recognizing that like recognizing of how to be an ally for everyone instead of just like standing up for yourself and like being like not just for yourself but like for all women and like for everyone and not just like you know like standing up for yourself is important but y'all it's also recognizing the need of the greater good and i think feminism in 2007 was making one woman feel important no matter what and and you lose sight of everything else. And I think Josh or, Sweden, like, yeah. be able to do that. And, and also, kind of like in 2007, it was kind of like, oh, woman character is here. Like... She's beating people up. Yeah, woman care Like, that was, like... <laughs> it's very important that you, like... That that was a big thing going on with Black Panther. It was like, oh, look, there's black characters. And it's like, that is... Yes, that is important, but it's not... You need everything else that goes along with it. You can't just have... The, the token character, the token female character there, because that doesn't add to the, the the story. Just having the character is fine, and could be good, but you need to supplement it with other things. Yeah. Yeah, and otherwise yeah. it's sucker punch level feminism. Oh my god. I didn't, 
Yeah, yes. I forgot about Sucker Punch. Yes, yes. <laughs> that movie. Yeah. Um, is he kind of going along with the uh, the Brian Singer thing? Because um, I was going to ask one more question, but I think we answered it already. And that question was, uh, does it matter that people are, you know, aware of this? You know, people are kind of, like, in mass aware. And I keep thinking about that really disgusting Kevin Spacey video that came out. Ugh. Yes. And so, so that that itself is it's like a problem. But I kept reading reading the comments, and people were like, "Oh man, Frank Underwood's back!" Like, "Oh, I missed you so much." And a lot of this was like the House of Cards fan base who was dissatisfied by that final season being like, I mean, I saw it. It was it was very bad. Uh, you want to talk about quote unquote bad feminism? Oh man, that was a bad show. But. Um, there are, I mean, a lot of uh, fans, like, probably not within our circles, they will probably care more about, you know, they're, they're about separating the artist from the art, or whatever the hell that means anymore. Um, even though, like, Woody Allen's, like, we were talking about Woody Allen, how he as a person is reflected in his art, and his art is creepy, but people are like, oh, man, I love Manhattan, I love uh, Annie Hall, so-and-so, so-and-so. Um, Death so, author. What's that? I'm just screaming death of the author. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't really know. Deplatforming sounds great. I think that would work because we have seen that happen on like a lot of uh, fringe figures. And uh, you know, I think like Milo is literally begging for money at this point. But it, it just seems like it's a little bit of an uphill battle because there are still those people. And, you know, I don't, I'm always wary of like invalidating people's feelings. Like I don't want to like go to some firefly fan gathering. Uh, you're all Confederates and all that stuff. I don't want to like go on like some crusade like that, but well, yeah. What were you about to say? Yeah. That, yeah. That's, that, well, that's like call out culture. You don't need to do that. You don't like you. It's 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 the system, not not like yes, the individual, but it's also the system as a whole. And tackling, like, if actors tackle the system as well as us tackle the system, then we don't have to worry about like it's it's irrelevancy. Like in that sense, like going like watching Josh Whedon movies now, or like I had a good example for this. Um, okay, so like attacking Ellie Fisher for not for congratulating uh, Rami Malek and, like, the rest of the the cast and crew of, of Bohemian Rhapsody. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Why are we yelling at her because of something that an individual did that obviously she wasn't congratulating him about? Um, I don't know. I, I'll go into this more, but, like, sorry, Chris. I'm going off on, like, thousands of tangents. Sure. No, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of needed you to say that because I wasn't really sure. Yeah, I, 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 don't think, I don't think yelling at the... I don't think necessarily yelling at the fans is going to change the system. I think it's it's just going to... it's It doesn't do anything. Uh, the people are still going... The, the Josh Whedon is still going to be making money regardless of whether I'm yelling at fans uh, because there will still be fans out there who will still want to go see it. Or still want to consume the content. Um, there are some cases where, yeah, it works. I think there's severe levels of nuance that need to be involved. But I don't think, uh, th- like, 
like if three of you liked a specific piece of content, I'm not going to say shame on you for doing that. Um, because I don't think that necessarily works depending upon the situation, depending upon the thing. I, it, it's just all context. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And, um, it's one of those unfortunate things where sometimes you'll just be criticizing the thing and people will take that as an attack on exactly. them sometimes. But, uh, yeah, it's it's much more constructive to talk about uh, the thing itself and the things that it does wrong and what you'd like to, it to do, what you'd like it to do mm-hmm. better. Or, yeah, just talking about it from that angle instead of being like, oh, all these people who like this are terrible because... We all have some. We all have a few things that we more than a few things, really, that we really like that um, mm. we would have trouble defending yeah. sometimes. But uh, and, and yeah, um, I was just gonna, going back to like the the hyperbolic uh, uh, thing that you brought up, Chris. Um, but like, then you also have to think about who does that serve? D- does that serve yourself to be like, oh, I am. I am better than all of you for not consuming the content and telling you all that you are bad for consuming the content. And that also is bad because you're creating a level of moral goodness that, you know, yeah, but like, it it just seems like, you know, you're, you're creating another level of hierarchy that doesn't need to exist. And you're doing it more for selfish reasons than for fixing the system. And I, yeah, and I think that just comes down to, like, how we converse with people on the internet, because the internet is a crazy, crazy place with a lot of differing ideas, and it could be very scary at times, and I think... It's like a marketplace of ideas. Uh, God damn it. Uh. Fuck. Uh, You know, (laughs) the marketplace of ideas is bad because markets are scary. (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, Yeah, I just, I, I think that, you know, like... If we were to, like, yelling at Elsie Fisher is not going to fix the problem of Brian Singer being in movies. I think the problem is, like, like Me Too was a very significant systemic, like, paradigm realization. Like, like these people are existing in our culture. We need to change that. That's huge. And that comes from, you know constant conversation and constant you know being allowed to have you know women speak about the problems and realize how it's systemic and it's not just harvey weinstein it is hundreds of other people so so more things like this blog from his ex-wife yeah i yeah yeah it's like it's it's a piece of information that will be that is part of all of the other things for josh whedon but josh whedon is also a part of the 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 general sexist you know bullshit that exists your josh whedon's and your woody allen's there's 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 a reason why it's a plural and not just the individuals there's multiples of them and you know trying to tackle them all by just tackling one is not going to solve the rest of them Especially when he has, like, a, a whole network of... Exactly. Whedonites who, like, will go to his house and shoot a movie. Yeah, and I think, I think, <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, like, you know, a, a lot of my understanding of this has changed significantly in the past few months because of anxiety that I get from the internet a lot and how I Fair. deal with, you know, like, 
seeing people like uh, not necessarily see people I care about on the internet getting attacked, but just understanding how the internet can become very toxic just for the individual. Even if like, you know, you agree with what everyone is saying, it just, it, it can be very annoying and just, ugh, yeah, it's just, ugh, I don't like, I don't want to, <laughs> like, just not wanting to deal with it. And yeah, that's totally fair. Yeah. And like, there's ways to be constructive but like also, you know, punch Nazis. Uh like I think there's like nuance to situations uh where you can like, you know, say like, hey, their content is not good for X, Y, and Z reasons and they'll be able to understand that and then we don't have to like dogpiling in some in a lot of cases can be not beneficial and doesn't fix the system. That's that's it. I'm done. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things where I feel like um, hindsight is twenty twenty on this sometimes. And before that letter about his, I before that letter from his um, wife came out, um, certain things about Joss kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But it wasn't uh, entirely noticeable until until I had time to reflect on it and more of the pieces started falling together and. I think it's one of those things where we need to keep in mind where we we don't we shouldn't feel like uh, I don't feel like we should feel too guilty about the fact that we liked something that was made by a bad mm-hmm. person in the past because it's it's one of those things where you you have some people basically there's this famous comic on the nib where there's this character that's basically like oh yeah. I'm I'm so brave and cool because I don't like anyone, so I always knew this person was bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's that situation of I, I feel like we I feel like one way we could approach this sort of thing is kind of distance ourselves from all works and be prepared for something like this to Kill happen. Kill your idols? But, uh uh let's not have crazy it, yeah, social it, relationships. Sorry for cutting you off. No worries. Uh it, it's one of those things where not allowing yourself to like or be attached to any sort of piece of media is a quick way to feel pretty um, disenchanted with everything. So I feel like the better strategy is to just like things that you like and criticize them when you can and just be be willing to put yourself out there and invest yourself in something because there's no real way of knowing when something like this would happen and it's a much colder life to go around never investing yourself in anything fuck yeah i I thought it was interesting hearing anthony talk about his awakening (laughs) during age of all time where he's like okay i'm going to think about these things more critically now and in a way i think that's kind of the thesis statement of the show in general of um yes we love or you know we enjoy marvel movies we enjoy blockbusters and pop popcorn uh films and whatnot but um, you know, not to just list off a bunch of cliches, but like everything's political. Um, there is a reason why the decisions you're seeing on screen are being made. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not saying we should like build a resistance and stop Joss Whedon, but, <laughs> but for everyone to just kind of sit back and be like, Hey, maybe I should think about this a little more. Um, I think could go a really a long way. Uh, yeah, that, 
another cliche, like the whole art, your fades are problematic. I feel like Joss Whedon and probably J.K. Rowling are like the original <laughs> problematic <laughs> faves. Um, because this, well, at the same time that new Bile tweet came out, um, like J.K. Rowling had like this crazy thread, like some British political thing that people were going nuts over. Um, and also, I, I I think I linked to this, but there was a there was a satirical tweet from a fake Twitter account um, pretending to be Variety, and the headline was Joss Whedon to write and direct Harry Potter and the, the Cursed Cursed Child film adaptation. <laughs> and for like half a minute, I thought that was real, <laughs> and I almost lost it. Uh, so I've I've been oh I've been so curious of like why these two are, like, so destined to intertwine with each other yeah. when it comes to, like, Twitter discourse and whatnot. But, I don't know, some some food for thought for y'all. Uh, yeah, we're a little over two hours, so I think we can wrap up now. I think we concluded that uh, well. Izzy, where can people find you on social media? But, yeah, you can follow me on Delirland on Twitter. And, yeah. Uh, Anthony. Yeah, you can follow me at the Pizza Taco. At the Pizza Taco. I had to say that again. Yes. Uh, you know, I yell about things. Um, you you do yell a lot. I do yell a lot. Um, I am I'm very bombastic. Jen, the floor is yours. You can, uh, where can people find you on social media and anything you want to, like anything and everything you want to plug, take all the time you want. Sure thing. So um, you can find me on Twitter at JBU3. Um, I do most of my writing and podcasting work on Scanline Media, which is at scanlinemedia.com. We didn't write a ton in 2018, but we're going to try and ramp that up again this year. Um, We also have a um, Patreon-only podcast called Oops All Animate, where we choose a show and invite a guest on to talk about the first three episodes or so. and that's basically patreon.com slash scanline media. And my other big project is uh, Novel Not New, a true end podcast where I work with um, M from Abnormal Mapping and my friend Six. And we talk about, we, we basically treat it like a book club, but for visual novels, we'll choose one every month, play through it and discuss it, read uh viewer i mean listener mail and things like that and uh you can find that at readinggames.online cool uh yeah thanks so much for enduring this whole thing with us um (laughs) no i really appreciate it um podcast networking right um for sure yeah um you can subscribe to ap marvel we are on apple google spotify uh you can even subscribe to our youtube channel if for some reason you listen to podcasts on youtube uh, be sure to leave us a review, leave us a comment, even if it's a bad one, because we, <laughs> that means people are listening um, to us. Yeah, no, pe- people have said things about us. They've mentioned us by name, and they have opinions. Uh, you can do- you can give to our Patreon. Uh, a few plugs for that. Uh, we did an off-topic uh, Patreon exclusive episode about Aquaman, which uh, Anthony uh, led. Uh, Thomas Rasmussen's that episode, and we talked a lot about. What the hell was his character arc in that freaking movie? There was none. The whole movie was ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know why that exists. Okay. Oh god. Now you have to. You don't have to listen to the episode. Now you anymore, have. I guess. Yeah. This, yeah. Yeah. You um, have to listen to it now. You have to become a patron. Listen to my yeah, content. To, Consume it. I am an influencer. <laughs> I have All power. Then. Uh, another thing from their Patreon <laughs> is that we are doing uh, semi-weekly letters called Marvel Musings. 
Uh, I wrote the first one that came out on Tuesday of this week, and it's basically about um, how weird I think the year is as a unit of measurement and how he uh, bashed all these movies together in award shows and be like, hey, let's compare La La Land and Moonlight, even though they have nothing to do with each other except that they came out in the same year. And I just think that's a weird thing. And also the main thing about um, the thing I'm excited about in 2019 is that my favorite movie or video game are probably they're probably not things I've even heard of. So just the whole excitement of the unknown. So if you want to read that, uh, any patron can read that letter. Uh, we have a medium blog, which basically collects all of our, um, podcast episodes and essays. Uh, we're trying to figure out how we're going to do pitches in the future, but I think we have a, uh, former guest, a previous guest on the show who might write something up for us. So be on the lookout for good moral discourse. Uh, we have a public Discord. Uh, the link's in the show notes. Thanks to Charles Villanova for the graphics. Thanks to Steve Motter for the music. Uh, since we're in the marketplace of ideas, I'm going to crack open a cold one and uh, chill for the rest of the night. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. <laughs>